0: Hey there, dog people of the internet. It's Sarah with The Cognitive Canine, and this is Cog Dog Radio. Today is the third episode out of four episodes about a border collie named Prime. So, if you haven't listened to the first two episodes, I would go back and do that now. You can find them on my website, which is TheCognitiveCanine.com. There's a tab up top that says Cog Dog Radio. All the episodes are posted there. You can also listen in SoundCloud or on iTunes, just search for CogDog Radio. If you happen to listen on iTunes or SoundCloud, leave me a review. It helps other people find out about the show. Today, we're going to talk about a lot of stuff that are basically what I call the lessons from Prime. So Prime is a really awesome, special dog because he walked into Heidi's life and my life and really adjusted a lot of thinking that we both had. Um, I was already working really successfully on a lot of behavior modification cases and Prime forced me to think outside the box pretty much every time I worked with him, pretty much every time I consulted with Heidi. so. He, he's a great dog, he's taught me a lot because all dogs I think deserve the best training that we can give them. And because dogs are wonderful and so forgiving, they don't always get the best training that we can give them because we can get away with a lot of garbage with dogs that we can't get away with with, uh, when we're training other species. So specifically, let's talk about a couple of issues that Prime had. one is that he would chronically hide as a way to, I believe, as a way to just kind of cope with life. Um, and hiding was distressing to his humans. So it really bothered them that he felt like he needed to hide. And the bigger issue with it is that sometimes he'd need to, you know, be asked to come out from hiding, um, because he needed to go somewhere or, you know, he needed to be crated so that people could leave the house or, you know, for any number of reasons, he need he, sometimes you would need the dog to come out from where they were hiding. And he would sometimes become aggressive if he was asked to come out from hiding. Um, And so that was an issue. And he would squeeze himself into kind of small unusual places. He really liked to go, you know, squeeze himself onto shelves on a bookshelf. Um, Between furniture and the wall, underneath furniture, um, sometimes up on top of things. (laughs) And just basically anywhere that he could get that was away from the rest of the world was preferable to him. So we did a little game um, where Heidi would actually click or train Prime to go inside things. So uh, rather than start with things that he liked to go inside already. She would get out, you know, I had her get out like a big box and she just shaped him, which is something that both of them are skilled at to go inside the box. And now his motivation to go inside the box is not to hide, but to get clicked and treated. Um, so she shaped him to go inside the box, and every time he go in, she'd click, she'd treat, and then she'd actually throw a reset cookie out of the box. So he'd get out of the box, eat that cookie, go back in the box, click, treat, and, you know, it just kind of repeated itself. And then she'd add more boxes and more spaces, and she'd use, um, again, neutral things that he had never hidden in before, And she would ask him to go inside this one, click treat. And then she'd ask him to go inside the next one, click treat. And here's the cool thing. So instead of throwing a reset cookie, she was asking him to go inside the next thing. And here's the cool thing that happened there is that in order for him to go inside the next thing to get clicked and treated, he had to come out of the thing he was in. So now we're actually getting closer to having a cue. That means come out, right? Means come out from hiding. And originally we're saying. Don't just come out and be in the world. You don't have to do that. Come out and then go into this other thing. And so pretty soon, this is a great game and Prime's going from box to box to box. And then Heidi got to incorporate some real life hiding spaces with that. So she'd put the box near the shelf where he'd wanna hide. She'd ask him to get in the shelf. She'd click and treat him for that. And then she would ask him to come get in the box and she'd click and treat him for that. And Before long, this turns into her being able to ask him to come out of hiding and go into a crate. And then before long, it's translating to just asking him to come out of hiding, to do another behavior. So to come to a nose target. And now there's no conflict involved. Now it's, I'm asking you to do something. There's reinforcement involved if you choose to comply and nobody's going to make you do anything. And that was really a huge help. Another huge help is that she got over her distress of him needing to hide. She said, you know, if that's what he needs, that's what he needs. And I would really urge all of you, if your dog is engaging in a coping mechanism that's bothering you, I want you to consider why it's bothering you. And you know, if it's incessant barking in your face, I can understand why that's bothering you. If it's pestering another dog that's going to start a fight, I can see why that's bothering you. If it's something that actually is not irritating, like the dog hiding, or some dogs like to, you know, suck a blanket or some dogs like to, um, you know, lick something or chew something that if that's actually not bothering you or shouldn't really bother you that much. Maybe it's time for you to just kind of adjust your thinking about it. And if you can't adjust your thinking about it, provide them a space that they can do it where you don't have to be involved, where you don't have to. You know, maybe the sound bothers you or something like that. And you can you can just provide them a space to get away. Um, Prime basically has a cave in Heidi's living room. It's an X-pen with a cover um, and blankets around it. So he's literally got like a fort and that's where he, that's his chosen hiding spot now, which is a great functional hiding spot. He can go in there. It's nice and peaceful. He can be in there with a bone. Um, nobody else can get to him. He's allowed to hide. And now he's not under a bed where somebody might, you know, need to reach in there to pull him out. If they need him out, um, he's not, you know, inside a shelf or between a wall and a piece of furniture He's not anywhere dangerous. He's in his own hiding spot. So providing him with a hiding spot, which she always did that. She just didn't necessarily always notice that he needed it and open the door and provide him access. Right? So similarly, you know, this reminds me of when I used to do a lot of work with the pet dog. Clientele, so people who don't do sports but just have pet dogs that might have behavior problems. Um, that was kind of the first field that I worked in in dogs. And a really common problem is digging, right? So people hate it when dogs dig holes in their yard or their garden. Um, and I was always telling people to provide the dog with a place to dig that is more attractive to them than wherever else they're digging. So instead of saying, you don't get to dig because I don't like it here's a place that you can dig and I'm gonna make it so that you would like to dig there. And I, it solved 100% my digging cases, you guys, 100%. Um, in fact, I loved it when I got that call because I was able to give them the answer. So they would just go and get a sandbox and they would fill it with whatever kind of dirt the dog already preferred, we would kind of go down that line. So a lot of the times, this was in Colorado, Um, A lot of times the soil can be really hard and where the dogs were choosing to dig was in the garden where you've kind of treated the soil so it's much softer and you've been turning it up yourself so it's softer. So we would just, we would get them soft like sand, uh, something soft like sand to dig in, um, in a a sandbox. And then you'd bury Kongs and bones and stuff in there. So they're actually gonna find stuff when they dig. And I'm telling you 100% of the time it got better. And that's that whole, that's that same mentality, right? So the mentality of, I don't get to decide what you can and can't do to make you feel good on a daily basis. You're your own creature. You get to have your own hobbies. (laughs) You get to have your own interests. And if digging is one of them, I have no right to take that from you. But let's come to a compromise on where you can dig, okay, rather than, there's a lot of ugly stuff happening for digging <laughs> out there. So, um, you know, the least of which not being, um, electronic barriers, electronic collar with a barrier built in around the digging area. That just makes me so sad when hundred percent of the time it was solved. By providing the dog with a space to dig, provided that the dog didn't have um that provided the dog had his other needs met, right? Because that was always where I started with everybody. Most digging dogs are just bored out of their minds. And if you just feed them out of a Kong, they stop digging. (laughs) I mean, or you've left them in a backyard for nine hours straight a day by themselves. Okay, hire a dog walker, feed them out of Kongs, they stop digging. Um on the rare chance that they didn't provide them with a digging box. Now we've got a dog that's like perfectly happy. Right. So prime is along all those same lines, provide him a place that he can hide and just get over it. If he wants to hide, he wants to hide. I remember the first time Heidi actually left him home when she was going somewhere um, where she wanted to take all three of the dogs somewhere. It was like to the lake or something. And he was under the bed and he wouldn't come out. And I said, leave him home. And she left him home and it was a big deal. It was really hard for her because she knew he would like to go to the lake if he would actually come out, but he didn't know where she was going. And all he knew was he needed to be hiding right now. And she left him and it was, it was hard for her, but she did it. And it was a good, good piece. You know, one of those building blocks in their relationship. So speaking of relationship, um, when you start to give dogs choices, you have to, respect that their answer is no sometimes. So if you give the dog a choice to come out from under the bed, or you give the dog a choice to have his nails trimmed, or you give the dog a choice to have a vaccine or something like that. Remember that choice means you get to say yes, or you get to say no. Um, if you're always going to follow up by making the dog comply or making the dog do whatever it is. That's not a real choice, okay? So I'm going to give you kind of two scenarios. Um, One is your dog is due for routine, physical, and vaccinations. You go to the vet. You've trained cooperative veterinary care. You're awesome. (laughs) You've taken my perfect patient's online class. You've trained uh, cooperative veterinary care. Everything is great. Your dog says, I don't think I can maintain a hand target while you do that today. Or the dog's or the dog generally tells you no in whatever way, because in perfect patients work, you should always train them how to say no very clearly so that they never have to bite, growl, etc. Um if your dog says no, I won't allow this without restraint, and then you just go ahead and restrain them and do it, you have broken the contract. Okay, so this is a routine exam and vaccinations. You could Pay the veterinarian for their time today and set up another appointment to come back for the rest of those vaccines or whatever that you didn't get done. And that would protect what you have built with your dog. Now, another scenario, your dog is sick. There's something wrong with your dog. You need to do an abdominal ultrasound. Your dog is not going to lie on its back in the cradle. To have that done. Um, the mistake, I think a lot of rookie kind of trainers who are new to this kind of thing would make is they would try to get the dog to comply. Here's the deal guys in this part. I don't mean for this part to give you permission to be coercive. What I mean is when the answer is, when the answer must be yes, when there is not going to be, when there actually isn't a choice involved. Don't give them one. Okay, so I'm gonna come back to, I have a friend named Kim who, she's had dogs a long time, but her dog's ancient. She doesn't really do a lot of training, but she is a new mom. So she has a two or three-year-old son and she just had a newborn baby um, daughter. And we were, She does a lot of choice based, really cool parenting. So we talk a lot about what I do with dogs and what she did, does with kids. And there's a lot of parallels. And the funny thing is we were talking about how when there isn't a choice, you can kindly not give them one. Right. So a uh, good example, when she was going to give her son a bath, um, she didn't say, "Do you want to take a bath now?" she said, "We're going to have a bath now and then she would take him to the bathtub and they would have a bath and then she witnessed her husband saying, "Do you want to take a bath now?" and her son saying, "No, I want to keep playing and then her husband being kind of flabbergasted and kind of and kind of frustrated and kind of okay, so then he'd play a little more with the kid um And then ask him again. And the whole point is, if there isn't a choice, don't ask him. Because if you ask, because this is what most parents would do, they would ask, the kid would say no, and the parent would say, well, too bad, it's bath time, (laughs) right? And what you're doing then is you're saying, you don't actually get a choice. And sometimes I'm tricky and I say you get a choice, but you can't trust that because you don't get a choice. And dogs are the same, you guys. If they think this is a trick, I don't actually have a choice, you will lose them. You will lose all their trust. Versus in the case of the abdominal ultrasound, picking the dog up and you have worked hard on them being comfortable with this kind of thing. This is part of it. Picking the dog up, putting them in the cradle, the shaving is done, the gel happens, the ultrasound is done, they get up, they eat a piece of chicken and you leave. Okay, so you try not to make it a trauma. You use sedation if it's becoming a trauma. I believe strongly in that. Um, and you move on with your life as opposed to asking and then, accept and then not accepting the answer no. So how this manifested with Prime's hiding is that or refusal. Sometimes his um, hiding manifested other ways like refusal to come out of a crate would sometimes happen. Um, and refusal to transition essentially. So we talked about his struggle with transitions. So his refusal to come in and out of a crate or the house or whatever. Um, it's, gets very hot in Kansas. There are certainly times when Heidi could not leave him in the crate, in the car, in the garage, because it's not safe for him. Um, and there were other times when she was going out of town and there was no one home to take care of him and she needed to go. And so he needed to come and get in the car. And so these were instances in which Heidi would simply put a leash on the dog and use collar pressure to get the dog into the crate, out of the crate, etc. Please don't panic that I just said the words collar pressure. Um, she's not popping on him. She's not dragging him. Um, she had actually worked hard on teaching him to give into collar pressure aside from these times. And it's basically just her way of saying you have to, and you know, what's amazing. What amazingly happened is that prime accepted that so beautifully because clarity is so much easier for dogs than any kind of ambiguity. I am going to stand here and say that confusion is the highest power aversive that we apply Okay, in dogs and in probably any animal, they want to understand. I believe they want to understand more than they want anything else, which is why um, a lot of dog trainers who use methods that I would be uncomfortable with are still getting decent results with dogs that are not stressed. It's that they're being clear, um, clarity is one of the most important things that you can provide a dog. If you want to build trust between the two of you for prime, it was quite clear. The leash went on. He would now be going wherever Heidi went and he was fine with it. You guys, it was not a big deal. And actually that just solidified her, his trust in the fact that she would give him choices because she never gave him a choice and then revoked the choice. That is so much more damaging than just not giving the choice in the first place. So I hope that makes sense to you guys. And um, I hope you'll shoot me an email if it doesn't and we can talk about it. Um, because I in no way mean to imply that she first asked him to come out. And then when he said no, she put the leash on and took him out. That's not what happened. Whenever it was a guaranteed you, the dog had to come out. She was under instruction not to ask him she was under instruction to just go put the leash on and take him out. Um, and that way she's not revoking these new rules that she had laid down, which is I'm gonna give you choices and I'm gonna respect what your, what your answers are. Um, and then speaking of transitions, we would certainly use some incompatible behaviors to help him with transitions. One of them is uh, when she would let some of her other dogs outside prime would get very agitated at them running up the stairs to go out the back door because in a lot of border collies, you guys are just really upset about chaos and dogs barreling up the stairs and going out the door is chaotic. And it, it makes them, it makes them upset. They want to make it stop. It makes them feel good to make it stop. And so the way they make it stop is they charge in and bite. Um, and so Prime is asked to get a toy when this was happening and he could go get a toy and he could shake it and beat himself with it and just self soothe on the toy. And now, you know, if there's no toy available and the dogs are let outside, there's probably still going to be, there might still be an issue. Um, but even if you forget to tell him to go get a toy, he'll go get a toy himself. So he'll choose that. So asking him to go get a toy instead of charging at other dogs, really nice, um, incompatible behavior. And here's what I want to say about training incompatible behaviors. Uh, this is a, it's a really common behavior modification technique It's just train the dog to do something else that they can't do while they do the problem behavior. Okay. So for instance, the dog can't sit and look at your face and bark and lunge at another dog. So a very tried and true technique for leash reactivity is train the dog to sit and stare at your face anytime they see another dog. Um, That's not necessarily the route that I would choose, but it's tried and true. People have done it for a long time because they're incompatible. The two behaviors are incompatible. The dog can't do both at the same time. Grab a toy and shake it. You can't do that at the same time as charge into the other dogs and bite them. So perfect. Here's why I wouldn't choose sit and stare at the human's face, but I would choose go get the toy and shake it. Okay, so here's what's different about that. Because you could do the same thing. Heidi could have trained Prime to sit and stare at her face while the other dogs ran outside. As opposed to training him to go get the toy. Training was involved in both scenarios. Um, Here's why I think one worked and why I don't think the other one would work. And why the other one wouldn't even be my choice. When you're choosing an incompatible behavior, you must respect the original function of the behavior, of the problem behavior, okay? So in the case of Prime charging at the other dogs, the function of that behavior is relief of frustration, okay? Or relief of some emotion that the dog is feeling about these dogs charging outside. And I would say the emotion feels yucky. I would say um, it's it's intense, high arousal, Probably a little bit of anxiety there, probably some frustration. We can't ask Prime how he feels, but that, those are the, those are the assumptions we can probably make based on his breed and the way that he's acting. Um, a self soothing mechanism that he would choose in other situations where he had similar emotions is to grab a toy and shake it. He would never choose to sit and stare at Heidi's face to soothe himself from yucky emotions. Um, no offense to Heidi. <laughs> She'll laugh when she hears this part. Um, he just wouldn't, no dog is going to choose that to soothe themselves. Staring your face is not soothing. I hate to break it to everybody. Um, and so to me, you, you were not respecting the original function of the behavior when you replace it with something like that. And I would absolutely, it was suggested to her that she trained him to go lie on a mat when they ran up the stairs. And... When I said, I don't think that's going to work. And here's why I don't think it's going to work. You know, because she didn't think it was going to work either. (laughs) Um, She was certainly willing to try anything because she always was. But she didn't think that was going to work either. And we talked about why it wasn't going to work. And this is why. It's because it doesn't respect the original function of the behavior. If you want an incompatible behavior to be sustainable, to actually maintain and continue to exist as... Your modified behavior, it has to continue to soothe the original need that that behavior arose from. So it needs to serve the same function. And so training him to go lie on a mat was not something that we did. Training him to grab a toy, which and then he would proceed to shake it and beat himself with it, which a lot of Border Collies do ringside in agility for the exact same reason, Um, was what we did instead and you guys, it's working. It's it's, he likes it even better. It serves the same function and it doesn't have any of the yucky stuff with the confrontation because dogs hate confrontation. You guys, there's very rare dogs that, um, that want to fight with other dogs really rare dogs that want to be aggressive towards other dogs, um, because it's that soothes a, that meets a function for them. Um, and that's because of genetics. These are dogs that have fighting in their history. Um, okay. So, same kind of deal. We had talked about, um, prime getting addicted to patterns and needing everything to be the same. So, Primarily Heidi just stays, tries to stay within the same pattern. She tries to keep the pattern going for him. That's a pretty easy thing to do. Um, whenever the human can just change their behavior or change the environment, as opposed to trying to change the dog, that's, that's the first place we need to go. But when patterns are broken, Heidi has learned to notice that prime is distressed by that and provide him with a soothing activity, okay? So like asking him to get a toy and shake it, or like picking up where the the pattern was broken and fixing it, Um, something like that. Along the same lines, something that has really, really built up their relationship now, so their relationship of trust and understanding is that prime is he now looks to her to fix problems. Okay. So recently, um, her younger dog was agitated about her cats, um, making some noise. And we all know this, we live in multiple dog households that you never have just kind of one problem child. (laughs) You always have, um, multiple personalities and, and behaviors going on all the time, especially if you choose to live with, you know, really highly intelligent, highly driven breeds like Border Collies. Um, so her younger Border Collie was becoming agitated about her cats making some noise and her younger dog's agitation on top of the cats making noise was really bothering Prime. And instead of hiding or becoming aggressive, he actually came to her. He actually came to her and he sat and he looked at her and he was waiting for her to fix the problem. And instead of, you know, old Heidi would have, you know, maybe yelled at the other dog to, to knock it off as many of us would, um, she recognized that that would actually just bother prime more, the yelling would. And so she went, okay, I can do this. And instead of just putting Prime in a crate also and just saying, okay, you can hide, she said, I can handle this. She went, she got some food, she did a cookie scatter for the other dog to soothe the other dog. And then Prime was able to relax. And he, and you guys, every time you're able to do that, when you're able to be the hero for your dog, when you're able to come to their rescue, when they're upset about something, they... I I fully believe that that gets gets stored in their mind. That they remember that you were were the one that came to their rescue. Um, They're helpless in our world. They're utterly helpless to take care of themselves and to make things stop for themselves. That was bothering him. And he came to her needing help and she fixed it. And that's one of the most valuable lessons that I think you can ever teach a dog is when you have a problem I will fix it for you because then they're not needing to fix it themselves with aggression right or they're not needing to hide and waste their life you know hiding under a bed um so their relationship now just the fact that he even came to her as opposed to hiding or becoming aggressive that alone is because of all the other times that she was his hero and she came to his rescue And then she just, she did it again. She rose to the occasion. And that's the kind of person that we all want to try to become for our dogs, I think. And especially if you've got a problem with your dog, really making a huge effort to be that person will pay off. You will not regret it. It is a good choice. Um, And kind of the final piece that I want to talk about with Prime is something that... It really holds true for all of the dogs that I'm really lucky enough to work with. Um, which is that when dog training and dog answer, dog tra- dog training and dog trainers have failed to provide the answers that you need for your dog. What you should know, is that dog training is a tiny tiny niche within the vast field of animal training and that very frequently your answers lie with somebody who primarily trains a different species and here's what here's what's going on you guys um something that i've heard that really rings true is that dogs and horses have withstood the most abuse among, in the animal kingdom, in the name of training reason being they tolerate it. (laughs) They tolerate it and they continue to learn. And since we're, I'm not really interested in talking about what I would think is abusive, um, that's not even on my radar. So using dog training techniques that I think are, you know, unnecessarily harsh um, or aggressive it is so not on my radar. So we're not even going to go there. What we're going to go to instead is we're going to say this. Dogs are really forgiving, as I said in the beginning of this podcast. They learn s- so often despite us. Okay, so so often... They figure stuff out, even though our efforts are just really terrible. And if we tried to use the same method to teach whatever it is we're trying to teach with a cat, for instance, if it wouldn't work with a cat and it is working with a dog, there's a reason for that, you guys, and the reason doesn't lie in the science of learning. It lies in the species specific adaptations that the dog has. Dogs have specifically evolved to figure us out. That's why they're a very highly successful species on this planet. Um, so when you've got a dog that's stumping you, reach outside into animal training, so get away from dog trainers. And pick up a book by somebody who trains dolphins. Okay. Or pick up a book by somebody who trains parrots. Um, And see if you can't find your answer there. I have this big fat textbook by Ken Ramirez. It's just, uh, I think it's just called Animal Training. Um, By Ken Ramirez. It's this huge book. Ken Ramirez um, now works for Karen Pryor Clicker Training, but at the time of the publishing of the book that I have uh, was the head of training at the Shed Aquarium in Chicago and so a lot of his training background is with marine mammals and so we you know when I told Heidi that I would frequently reference this book for Prime she that's where she started to you know tell people that Prime was quote so difficult that her trainer uses dolphin books <laughs> Um, it's not necessarily because he's difficult, but because standard dog training techniques failed this dog. Okay. We needed to reach outside of standard dog training techniques. A lot of the things that were recommended by the veterinary behaviorist were standard dog training techniques and were ineffective for this dog. Um, and I'm not going to say that they wouldn't have been effective for the next dog cause they really might've been, but things like, um having the dog sit and wait at doorways and sit to be padded and wait for his food bowl or be fed after the people or, you know, all of these kind of standard dog training things or go over, let go lie on a mat um, or practice impulse control behaviors. When these things are not working for you, you need to reach outside of dog training because these things don't necessarily exist in the training of other animals. And you have to examine why that is. And the reason probably is because the only reason it's working is because you're working with a dog. Now, does that mean you shouldn't be doing that stuff? Not necessarily. I think there's a lot of things that are specific to dogs that are really fantastic and really magical and really cool that we should keep doing. Um, playing tug, for instance, just tugging on a toy or fetching a ball and using that as a reinforcer. That's pretty dog specific. And I think really awesome. So certainly keep doing that. I, the sport of dog agility, the my lifeblood, is really dog specific. I'm not sure that there's another species that would enjoy that game with a person the way that a dog does. So not to discount dogs or dog training at all, but when you are confused, reach outside your species. That's, that's essentially what I'm trying to get at, and that the smartest animal trainers that I know are just that, they're animal trainers, they're not dog trainers. They could train anything that you put in front of them. And so when I am looking for advice, when I am looking for help on a behavior case, I am rarely going to go to another dog trainer. I'm probably going to go up the ladder, and I'm probably going to look at people who have trained a vast number of species, like Ken Ramirez. um, And really just say, you know, what's working for a dolphin? And how can I apply that to Prime? And so and do did all of his behavior problems exist in dolphins? Probably not, but a couple of them did. And I specifically borrowed protocols um, for him. So what I want to say is, you know, understand that dog training isn't where it stops. There's a vast world of animal training, and no matter how much you know about it, there's more that you don't know. I learn all the time. In fact, If a week goes by that I don't realize that last week I was wrong about something, (laughs) that's a rare week, okay? That doesn't happen. That probably means I wasn't working that much (laughs) that week. So keep looking, keep learning. Really, really important to reach out. Uh, Next time, we're actually going to talk to Heidi, Prime's owner, and get her take on everything that we did. So if you have questions or if you have anything specifically you want me to ask Heidi, you can shoot me an email at cogdogradio at gmail.com. If I don't respond to your email, I'm probably going to answer your question in an upcoming podcast. So if I don't answer you, keep listening. You should hear your answer. And I hope you guys tune in. Thanks.